You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning. Happy New Year. How are you? Somebody said, good. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I know it was. It's good to see you guys this morning. Happy New Year. Uh, I just want to say thank you for all the Christmas cards. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I actually got some today. I want to show some of them on the screen, some of the Christmas cards I got from some of y'all. So um, we'll start off with uh, just some of our Christmas cards that we got this year from you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, this is a family that's not with us anymore. They just, this, this is uh, from a, people that just love their dogs just a little too much and their cats. These are people that love their pets. A little, you know, this is really funny here, the guy with the baby doll. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> I, what, I love the faces of that. It's cats. That's hilarious. Uh, and then there is a have a merry, creepy Christmas. I don't know if you could tell, but uh, he's in prison over here. He's in jail. Christmas card. They just wanted to be together. Let's get a picture together so we can put it on the card. And uh, um, I hope she's changed a little bit since she's grown up. She's Kind of, my wife's correcting me. All right, here's uh, two families with two totally different styles. Uh, oh, that one got cut off a little bit, but uh, yeah. I don't think either one of these families uh, would be hanging out together uh, for Christmas or New Year's. Uh, then there's a Merry Gothic Christmas uh, sale on uh, black lipstick here. Uh, almost everybody in that family is a uh, flock of seagulls or um, heavy-duty Serious black make uh, black lipstick, and over here I don't even know what to think about those shorts over here. I don't, you know, this is this is a good example of Arizona right there. That's what the people from Arizona are like. In fact, this was Sean's uh, Christmas card from '87, and that's Sean in the front. There is the uh, the gymnast. <laughs> And then there's uh, families who just didn't think it through. Uh, this is, uh, oh, they cut off the top of that one. But these are two falcons, a pig and a dog. And I, what were the parents thinking with semi-automatics and machine guns practically in the hands of their kids? And nothing says Christmas like family in a hot tub, right? And uh, this one, they, they decorated the tree with the ribbons from their um, swimming. Yeah, come on. Christmas. Some of you don't send me this card again. Um, and then there's families who overthought the holiday and uh, they just put a little too much thought into the card. They're the, they're the family that has to match. They spend a thousand dollars to get matching outfits. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and, and then there are those that, uh, that just have a good sense of humor. I like this next one. These are the last ones here. Um, the next ones. All right, they're all on the phone. That's kind of funny, and it's all, you know, like like abbreviations. I like this one down here. It's Happy Holidays from Tom, Beth, and Mac. That's a Mac computer from 1984. Isn't that awesome? Nothing says Merry Christmas like a computer wrapped as a baby. Well, thank you again for the cards, and I don't know about you, but the holiday was, um, was uh, busier this year. It felt like. You know, we had one less week to prepare, and there was just things that we're having to cram in in like a three-week period. And 
But it was a great holiday, and, and I don't know if any of you had to go to the post office. Anybody have to go to the post office? Uh, well, at the post office, you stand in line, and uh, I, I have an eBay business. I haven't been doing much with it over the last year, but I used to spend a lot of time in the post office, and uh, I'm a bit of a nerd because uh, my store's called, uh, it's an eBay store called Ted's Toy Box, and I sell, wait for it, Star Wars figures. And uh, I have a boxes of them in my garage that I have yet to list because I haven't been doing much over the years. So if you want to buy Star Wars figures in bulk, <laughs> I'm the guy because I want to get rid of them. Um, but Star Wars, you'd pack them and I'd have to wait in line. The post office was always busy. And you'd wait and wait and wait. And then you were waiting to hear what? Next, please. All right? You wanted to hear next Please, that anticipation of, of waiting for, for your turn. And what we're going to do this month is we're going to unpack a passage that is all about the next. And, and we're asking ourselves, what does God have for us next in 2014? What, well, God, if you could speak to me, God, I, I'm hearing what's next for me. And I think some of you, God is saying, Next, please, you've been waiting, you've been patient, you're ready, and God is saying today and this year, next, he's calling you to come forward. He's calling you to step out, and we're going to kind of discover and unpack this idea, and I'm glad things don't stay the same. We are actually designed and crafted and wired for movement, so we're going to move, uh, not necessarily... Um, physical location, but we're going to move spiritually into what God has for us. This month, we're going to take a look at a letter from a disciple who uh, basically had a real struggle with his walk with God, uh, and he knew what it meant to say and to hear, next please. In fact, he often would say, next please. He was a guy who stumbled in his walk with God, but yet became the great leader and head pastor of the early church, and his name is Peter. He's a guy who walked with Jesus, and he's the only person on the planet to walk on water other than Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. He's the only human being to walk on water, but he did sink because he began to doubt God. And he said that he would die for Jesus, but yet he turned around and ran from Jesus and helping Jesus in his most crucial time of need. He was rebuked more than any other disciple in the entire Bible. He was the only disciple that continually openly questioned Jesus and contradicted Jesus. In one conversation, he was called a rock of the church. And then minutes later, Jesus turned around and called him Satan. I mean, Jesus had issues with Peter and Peter had issues with himself. He sat on his hands unwilling to reach the loss after Jesus ascended into heaven. So much that Jesus had to show up in a dream to get him to move and to talk to people outside of his race background because Peter struggled with prejudice. Now, with all that in mind, he saw miracles, he saw signs and wonders, and he was praised by Jesus more than any other disciple and he knew and felt the struggle for the next. What we're going to do is we're going to spend January looking at 1 
Peter. So let's jump right in. First Peter chapter one, verse one, Peter says right off the top, who's writing this? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, Peter is one of the very main apostles of the early church. If anyone got a letter from Peter, it was regarded as extremely important. So this is an extremely... Now, Paul spent half of his letters trying to explain to them why he was their apostle. Peter simply said, I'm an apostle. You know it. Here's what I have to say. They immediately embraced whatever Peter said. He says, to God's elect. That basically means those that God has chosen to be his own. By the way, salvation is a God thing. It's not a you thing. It's not anything you do. It's something God has done. You are chosen if you are born again. You are the elect of God. He says, to the elect scattered or exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Ponus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We're all going to be questioned and quizzed on this next week, so be ready. Just kidding. That's modern-day Turkey. Now, here's the background check for Peter. He says to the exiles, what that means is he's writing to a group of Christians that were on the run for their life. This was written in the late 60s of A.D., And this was a time when the Emperor Nero had gone crazy against Christians. He'd actually burned down part of his own city. And then he blamed it on Christians. And then he put a decree all over the Roman world that Christians were to be slaughtered and killed for the city that he himself burned. He was a crazy person. He ended up killing his own family before he was assassinated. He began to attack Christians. He began to torture them. uh, They would... They would skin them alive. Check this out. Nero would skin them alive, put them in the arenas for the animals to attack. The animals would maul at them, but not kill them. And he would save them for several more days, cutting them and causing them to bleed and skin them alive so that the animals would attack them. And if they didn't, he would save them and and do it again. They would often get their heads cut off. They were dismembered. They were um, tortured Uh, It was intense persecution, so the Christians began to run away from the big cities and into the countryside. And this is Peter. This is Peter writing to you exiles, to those of you that are running away, to those of you that are looking for what is next in your life, for those of you that have no idea what God is up to in your life, this is a letter for you. So maybe 2013 was great for you. Maybe, maybe it was a year that you look back on me, man, it was one of the best ever. Maybe you had a child or a great job opportunity, or maybe it was extremely difficult. Maybe it's one of those years you can't wait to put behind you. Peter reminds us this is whether it's a good year or bad year. This is a letter about the next. And I want you to write this down that no matter where you are today, no matter where you are today, Jesus can take you to the next right now. No matter where you are now, Jesus can take you to the next step today. Their situation was devastating. Their future was unknown. Their life was turned upside down, but God knows, and God knows what's next, no matter where you are. All through the book of Peter, we're going to find that he uses words like sojourners. It means travelers or pilgrims, exiles, wanderers. He even calls us aliens, people who 
basically don't have a home. People who are constantly in movement. So Peter says, hey, you who are on the run, this is what's next for you. Then he gives a greeting that is amazing declaration of the Trinity. Check this out. In verse 1, he says, to God's elect, verse 3 says, who've been chosen according to the full knowledge of his Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace to you and in abundance. He says basically three things. He says the Trinity is one. He declares all of them God. And then he says to the Father who holds all of us together, who is almighty, and to the Spirit who is at work in all of us together, and to the Son who has shed his blood for all of us to save us. He says the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the Father who is almighty, the Spirit who is at work in us, and the Son who is saving lives. And I want you to know this. If you want to hear what God has next for you, here's the first thing you must understand. The first thing to understand, if you want direction in your life for this year, and that is know and understand that there is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. Peter affirms the mystery and the power of God's greatness right up front. Man, he says, God is in charge. He says, God is at work in you, and God is still saving lives. He says, right up front, there's no one like our God. Inside each and every one of us is a dark longing for counterfeit gods. It's actually quite startling how quickly we can attempt to deify that which bears no resemblance to God whatever, whatsoever. This year, there are going to be things that are going to compete for your allegiance. Money will compete for your allegiance. Work will compete for your heart. Hobbies will compete for your time. Sports will compete for your passions. Activities in school will compete for your energies. They will compete for your allegiance. And although there is no competition for our allegiance, there is only one God. Though there is competition, there is only one God, and there was no one like him. Some of you, this is the year that you recognize, and it's time The next, the first step for some of you to hear God and to know what God has for you next is it's time for you to begin to seek God with the intensity that you never have before in your life. You know, you know what makes January 1st different than uh, than December 31st? Nothing. It's all up here. It's all up here. We think, ah, new new day, a new life, a new opportunity, you know, resolutions, let's, you know, new commitments. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that we get that mentality because it gives us a chance to actually make a decision to do something different, right? I mean, how often are we making resolutions in August or, or, or September or July? But come January 1st, we're like, all right, all right, I'm a new year, new, time to start over. There's no difference from 31st and the 1st. It's all up here. But what if up here you decided that, man, I'm going to not allow the things to compete for allegiance in my life, and I'm going to pursue and trust God alone. For some of you, it's time to start actually reading your Bible. Not like this, God, what do you have for me? Boom. And he went out and hung himself. Is that a word for me today, God? 
That's not how you read. You know, start with the Gospels. Read the book of Mark and, and you read, through, read the book of Acts and read through the entire New Testament before you tackle the Old. That's a tip for you. If you haven't read through the Bible before, read through the entire New Testament, then the Old, because all of a sudden when you know Jesus, the Old Testament just pops right out of the pages with Jesus. You see him all over. Man, that's, that's fulfilled scripture. Man, that, that happened. Maybe this is the year you actually start reading your Bible. You, you come early to worship. That you don't, you stop hanging out in the hallways. Come on now. Woo! When you hear the music play. I'm sorry, I can't stay. I had to rhyme. What if it was a time for you to not just worship on Sunday mornings, but to actually worship on Monday and Tuesday and take that worship with you? What if this was the year that you decided that you were going to plug into a small group and allow yourself to grow in a community of people? that you were going to commit to actually coming each week not to show up and be a zombie and sleep in your chair because you're so comfortable, but to actually come with your Bible on your phone or in your a real, a real Bible, an analog Bible <laughs> as opposed to digital. And what if you actually came ready? You know, I give you the worship guide and on the back, I don't know if you've ever looked at it, there's blanks. And you can fill them in. If, you, if you're a blank person, you can fill them right in. What if you came ready to hear from God? I'm telling you, some of you, that's the first thing God wants to say, seek me. God, I need direction. God says, find me, seek me, look after and chase after me. That's what God says is next for you. That's how Peter starts off. He says, man, there is no one like our God. Working together, our hearts must be tender toward God and open to take the next steps for him. The next thing, if we want to move forward, we must understand this. We, meet, we need to understand who we are in Christ. We need to understand Peter's about to tell us what God says about us. You see, what God says about us matters more than what my mom and dad say about me. It, says, it matters more than what my, my coach thinks about me. It's more what God thinks is more important than what my, my teacher says about me, what my boss says about me, what my friends say about me, what Jesus says about me is more important than what the world has to say about me. And if you want to move forward and hear what God has for you, you need to understand what God thinks about you. This is what he says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That means you are a new person. If you are a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, you are not who you used to be. You are brand new. Your current life is new. Who you are in Christ is not who you used to be. Don't look in the mirror and think, man, I used to do this. I used to be like that. I used to play like that. I used to talk like this. No, you're a new uh, person. You're a new creation. You're brand new. If you want to begin the new year right, you need to start thinking about how God thinks about you. He says, you've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That means you've been given a new future. You've been given a new hope. Some of you like you, you grade your life from your life 
in the past, you think, man, nothing's ever worked out for me. I've always been poor. I've always had struggles. I've never had a car that worked right. I've never been caught up on my bills. My marriage has never been together. My kids have never wanted to spend time with me. Whatever. No, you've been given a new hope. You've been given a new future. Not only here in this life, but your eternity is greater than anything that you could ever imagine. Anything this life brings and you compare it to heaven, man, you've been given a new hope. You've been given a new life. You've been given a new hope. And then he says this, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. That means you have a certain reward. That means in heaven, all the riches and pursuits of this world are worthless in comparison. That means if if we can wrap our head around this, we start chasing the right things and start leaving behind the things that are worthless. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he says, you have a certain reward. And then he says, who through faith, that's followers of Jesus, we are shielded by God's power and the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That means you have a firm promise. You have a firm promise. Jesus says, yeah, life here might be tough, but I have not forgotten you. I will not leave you. You will never be alone. I will care for you and I will rescue you. I will come. You have that firm promise. Maybe you need a new life today. Maybe you need a new future. Maybe you need a new hope. You feel alone. Jesus is your what's next. The third thing that Peter says, if we want to move forward and we want the next step is we need to understand this, is that following Jesus will be hard at times. Following Jesus will be hard. You will have good days and you will have bad days. Let's take a look at this verse in chapter 1, verse 6. We're reading on. It says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Everybody say a little while. For a little while, you may have to, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Remember, he's talking to people who are running for their life. He says, man, you have suffered all kinds of grief and pain violent persecution, death of their own family members simply because they were a Christian. I want to tell you something. The next step with God is rarely easy. Most often it is risk and it is filled with difficulty. It is uncomfortable. And then the next step with God, I promise you, will probably be met with opposition. So if you're saying, God, what do you have for me next? He says, seek my face like you've never sought me before. And then I want you to realize who you are in me. And it says, I want you to realize that's going to be hard to follow and to live for me. He says, and I want you to think about this in your next trial. Maybe you're in one now, but this year, this, you know what? Here's some good news for you. You ready? This year may be the worst year of your life. In 2009, when I was diagnosed with cancer in February, I had no idea in January that I had cancer. And I preached a message, man, it was about 2009, it's going to be the best year ever. Yay! And you know what? I had cancer and it was the best year up to that point. Because God met me and taught me and encouraged me and it was met with tremendous challenge 
and pain and grief and sorrow and tears. But God met me and showed up in a way that I'll never forget. This year might be the most trialsome year of your life. And when that trial comes, I want you to remember this. He says, I want you to remember, it will be brief. He says, though now for a little while. Verse 7, he says, these, these trials have come so that, the, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is greater than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, he says, it proves the genuineness of your faith so that it may result in praise, glory, and honor with Jesus Christ when he is revealed. In the next trial, I want you to realize that the real you will surface. That's what Peter says. He says, man, trials are a way of revealing the genuineness of our faith. And when your next trial comes, the real you shows up. The real you is present. Right? And I see this all the time. People that give their life to Jesus, they think it's going to be rainbows and unicorns and care bears and rainbows and leprechauns. You know, God's going to give them prosperity or something, and all of a sudden they get sick. And all of a sudden they lose their job. All of a sudden, a family tragedy. They, God, where are you? I don't want any of that. If this is you, count me out. Well, you know what? Trials prove the genuineness of our faith. Sometimes a trial can reveal the real you, can truly reveal if you are truly his or not. And this is pretty powerful. He says, the real you surfaces when the trials come. Those who are really his do not walk away. And these trials are meant to draw us to God, not away from God. And if you're his, you will be there when the trial happens. Verse 80 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. Man, joy beyond words. And he says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. He says, you know what? You and I, we don't, we didn't see Jesus. Peter saw Jesus. He walked with Jesus. Man, he saw a miracle. Man, Peter walked on water. He saw the miracles. He saw the resurrected body of Jesus who he saw die on a cross and then walk into a wall, through a wall. And he's preaching to people that gave their life to Jesus and never got to see him once. Just like you and me today. We didn't see him. We have, however, this, this amazing, inexpressible, and glorious joy because of this. In your next trial, keep your vision. Keep your ability to see what you cannot see. That's what vision is. When your next does not make sense and you know it is from God, don't give up. Keeping your eyes on what you cannot see, Jesus. He goes on to say, verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come, search intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glorious uh, and the glories that would follow. Basically, he says, you know what? The prophets for the last thousands of years have been prophesying about a suffering Messiah who would suffer for their sins, and come back to life. And he says, man, they were looking and they were prophesying, but they never, ever got to see him. And he says, but it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves. They were not serving themselves, 
but you. He says, man, those prophecies were for us. It was for our lifetime, he says. And when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels, I love this, even angels long to look into these things. And even the angels didn't know what was going on. So in your next trial, I want you to remember this. God knows what he's doing. Some of you are going to face a trial, a sickness, a tragedy, or you may not. I mean, it doesn't mean that you, you know, the pastor said 2014 is going to be the worst year ever. I'm going to bubble wrap my body and sit in my room and see if I can work from home. And I'm not going to let my kids go anywhere. I'm going to start homeschooling them. It's not what he's saying, but he says that when it does happen, when your next trial happens, God knows what he's doing. Remember that. God has not made a mistake. His ways are not like ours. Even the angels long to understand this. The unfolding of God's plan is something even the angels are seeing unfold. It's pretty amazing. So don't call upon some angel or some person. Call upon the Lord. He's the only one who knows all things. So the next step is this. If you want to hear God and want to move forward and take the next step is you need to realize that there is a real enemy at work against you. These are all the things that that Peter says in chapter 1. He says, man, if you want to move forward, he's talking to the church on the run. He's talking to the, (laughs) twerking almost. He's he's twerking to the church that's on the run. You might have seen it on Vine, on on a a Vine video. He was talking to a church that was running for their life. And he says, you know what? There's a real enemy against you. And this is what he says, verse 13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, that means take this serious. That doesn't mean, hey, wake up, pay attention a little bit. It means take this extremely serious. The minds that are alert and fully sober, all right? And he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming, when he comes to rescue us. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He says, man, there's a war going on with yourself. Some of you, 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 you want to go back to your old life. Man, it's, it seems like it's so much. It's like autopilot doing the old stuff, right? Drinking and, and maybe getting, you know, getting drunk all the time. And maybe, you know, just sleeping around or just bad-mouthing everybody and just, you know, it's just so easy. That's autopilot. You know why it's called sin? And sin is, is, is something that has a stronghold on our life until we understand and meet Jesus. He says, you know what? He says, it's time to recognize there's a war with yourself going on. Some of you are at war with yourself right now. You were at war last night trying to decide if you were going to set your alarm and show up. Some of you, you are at war this morning hearing this message saying, God, I want to live for you, but you know what I'm doing. There's a war with yourself. And he says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Man, you did those things because you were ignorant of the truth, but now you're not ignorant anymore. So it's time to have victory over that. He's going to tell us how as we move through the chapter. He says, if you're a Christian... We've all done some pretty dumb things before Christ. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be alert and sober-minded. 
Again, he says the same thing, alert and sober. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Being mature, hearing God, and being ready to take the next step means you understand the resistance, knowing Satan is at war with you. See, there's two wars going on right now in you. There's the war with yourself, and there's the war with Satan. And Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to diminish your influence on this world and yourself, your old nature, your habits are at war with you. You're like, God, I've got Satan. I've got myself. God, how can I win? Through the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ in you, Peter says. He says, Be alert. Be sober-minded. means make your choices very carefully because they will lead you down a path that will ultimately take you backwards, not forward. How we use our time and what we focus on affects our next. He goes on verse 15. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That means be separate, be different, as I am different. This is not a physical separation, but a separate way of doing things and thinking. I want you to write this down. If you want to go to the next place in your life with God this year, if you want to hear the direction of God, you need to understand this, that you've been called to be different. You've been called to be different, to live different. A lot of people think, man... I give my life to Jesus and I can live like hell because I'm forgiven. Thank God for the cross. There's a lot of churches that actually preach that sort of thing. But Paul is telling us, man, you have been made holy. Peter is telling us you've been made holy through Jesus. Now you're holy. Now be holy. Our actions don't make us holy to God. Only Jesus makes us holy before the Father. When you acknowledge the cross was payment for your sins and you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ and you say, you're the king of my life, I'm not the king of my life. I get off the throne and I, Jesus, make sure you are on the throne of my life. Then we become holy. We become children of God. Our position from sinner to holiness takes effect. Now, Paul says, now that you're holy, Peter says, now that you're holy, be holy. Act like it. Be different, think different, walk different. Being a Christian is not a ticket to live any way you want, but to be holy. He goes on to say in verse 17, he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, that means God's not gonna compare you. God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't go, well, you know what? This person did drugs uh, and you just, you know, cheated a lot, but you know, it's not as bad as drugs. So you're okay. I'm gonna let you off the hook. That's not what it says. He says, man, God doesn't grade on a curve. He says, God, he searches each person's work impartially. He doesn't compare you to other. He, you know how, you know, the only comparison he has is his word is Jesus himself. And you know what? We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. He says, but live out your time as foreigners here in a in reverent fear. He says, man, remember, this is not your home. You know, I love America, but I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of the United States. 
And as much as I love this country, my allegiance is not to America. It is to Jesus Christ. It is to an eternal kingdom that is not built with hands or with physical governments. He says, man, you are a foreigner. No matter where you are, you're not home. And he says, with that, remember, that with, with reverence before God who will not compare you to somebody, but completely have you stand before him all by yourself. Young person, you won't be standing before God with your mom or dad. You won't have me to vouch for you. You won't have a brother or sister or your kids going to God for you. It'll just be you. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. We're going to wrap it up with this. He says, therefore, rid yourselves. That means drop it like an earthquake and put it away. He says, rid yourselves of all malice. That means speaking away that wants bad to happen to others, ill will, and all deceit. That means insincerity, insincerity and deceptive words. He says, and rid yourself of hypocrisy. That's saying one thing and doing another. He says, rid yourself of envy. That means resentful wanting of what another has. Man, envy will destroy your life. I think I'm going to do a whole series or two weeks on envy this year. It is I had my eyes open to the challenges and the deception of envy. It's the root of pride. Actually, pride is the fruit of envy. And we'll have to talk about it. He said, man, rid yourself of envy. Rid yourself of slander. That means character assassination. That means damage to another's reputation or character. And he says, of every kind. He says, instead... Rid yourself, but instead, like a newborn baby, crave pure and spiritual milk. That means grow, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Everybody say grow up. You know what's next for you? Grow up. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time you grow up. Now that you have tasted, I love this last simple verse. It says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Chances are that whatever God calls you to do next, it will not look like how the world does things. It will be different. How you work should be different. How you study should be different. What you pursue should be different. It will not make sense to the world, but God has called you to be different, to be better. You know, uh, I tell myself this, I need to be the father my kids think I am. I need to be the husband my wife deserves. And I need to be the pastor that you need. I need to be different than what myself says I want. Because myself is pretty self-ish. And God's called us to be different. He ends First Peter with this. We're not just different in a way that we live, but we're also different in the way that we think. He says, for you know that it is not with perishable things as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. That's called sin nature. He says it wasn't purchased. Your redemption, your salvation wasn't purchased with a purse or possessions. You can't throw money to God or throw it in a bucket and think you're in. Man, God says this is a surrender of life. This is not something you can purchase. He says, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
That's what bought us, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus was a sinless sacrifice. He was chosen before the creation of the world. God knows what he was doing. Before Adam fell, God had a plan. That's an amazing verse right there. But was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in your bank account. It doesn't say that, does it? (laughs) He says your faith and hope are in your spouse. doesn't say that. He says your faith and hope are in your children. Your faith and hope are in a good job. Your faith and hope are in finally getting that house. That faith and that hope are finally in your family. He says, no, your faith and hope are in God. It says right there, God, it's not in the things we see or dream or wish for or trust and our hope is in God. This world has nothing for us. The relationships that I have are the only thing that are eternal. And Paul says, you know what? You need to think differently. We're called to be different in how we live and how we think. And if we can get this, we will live untethered to this life and we will, man, you guys will do things you can't imagine. You know, I remember when I told my mom I was going to go into ministry. She's like, what? What's your plan B? Immediately, man, my mom was a Christian woman. She loved Jesus. But when I told her I wanted to be a pastor when I was a high school student, she's like, well, what if it doesn't work out? <laughs> this is what I got. You know, the, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I know God. Well, you're going to go to Bible college? Is there, are there going to be classes that will help you get a real job? I met with a pastor yesterday, and he is going through a real difficult time in his life. And he was actually, he and I were talking about him possibly having to step out of his church and to let his church go and to have somebody else take it over. And he's been in ministry for like 15, 20 years. He's, he's got a doctor. He's got a, two bachelors and a master's, all in biblical studies. And he says, I don't even know what I can do. I don't know. I mean, who's going to hire me? And I always think that, you know, if I left Livingway, what could I be? HR, I guess. Do HR work. You know what You know what pastors that leave the ministry do? They sell insurance, they sell cars, and they become realtors. That's the big three that pastors become or they become manual labor guys and they, build, they put roofs on. I've known a lot of guys that were pastors that did roofs. Yeah, that's right, I said it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I thought, you know what? My mom was like, she knew, man, pastors don't have a good tenure in churches. What are you going to do? I'm like, you know what? I don't think like the world thinks. And I got to I gotta trust that the Lord is calling me to do something very specific. And then this is what's next for my life. And, and I had to be willing to not allow what the world thinks about me and what the world says about what is right and safe and good and trust in what I believe the Lord is saying. And if we can get this, we will live untethered to this life. We will pursue things we never imagined. We will step out in faith risk and do the things that you've only dreamed of doing, that you've read about. If you can get that, what are you chasing? Why are you chasing it? God is calling you to get a clear perspective of what is important. And here's the last thing that he tells us to do in 1 Peter 1, 22. He says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. I mean, it's not a superficial love you. 
Guys that go, always irritate me. If you're one of them, just know I get like a little jitter when you do that. Sometimes I do it as a joke. When I when you use two hands, it's always a joke. When it's one, that's like, what is that even called? What's that called when somebody does that? Click. <laughs> I don't think it's a click. It's not a superficial. It's not a fake smile. It's, he says, love one another deeply. Listen, from the heart. How do we do this? He says, well, for you've been born again. So what? If you have been born again, if you've been given a new life in Christ, you know what he says? He says, you can be a great lover. Some of you guys, you're like, how do I love like, how do I love my boss? He's so annoying. How do I love that girl? Everything she says is negative. She's so annoying. She's so prideful. How do I love that kid? How do I love that adult? How do I love that coworker? How do I love my neighbor? Easy. You're born again. You're a new creation. You've got a new spirit inside of you. And Paul says that we can love deeply because we're born again. He says, for you're born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Living through, through, the, living and a, and, uh, through the living and enduring word of God. This is the last thing. If you want to hear God this year, if you need direction for your life, if you want to know what is next for you, you need to understand that love is the first sign of a surrendered life to Christ. So some of you are like, how do I know if I'm born again? Well, if you have turned from yourself and turned to Christ, that's called repentance, by the way. When you've realized that you were wrong and God was right, that change of mind is called repentance. And you turn from your way of doing things and you turn to his way of doing things. And it's not a trial run. It's not a God, I'm going to try it out for three months. I'm going to try it out for a year. I'm going to try it out until it gets tough because... The trials will prove the genuineness of your faith. But if you actually turn from your old to a new life, God makes you new, makes you holy, calls you holy. He says, be holy. And now he says, guess what? Now you can love easy. And this is how I know someone really has Jesus. They're great lovers. I'm not talking about a romantic lover. That's right. I know Jesus. Hey, baby. Hey, you know, just ask my wife. I know Jesus, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you love people. You love people. There's some people, people just irritate me. Well, you need Jesus, man. You don't know my boss. Well, you need Jesus. I hate that person. Well, you need Jesus. My parents, they've hurt me so bad. How could I ever love them when you need Jesus? After what my kids have said to me and done to me, I don't know if I could ever forgive. You need Jesus. He says, because you've been born again, he says, you can love deeply from the heart. Holy living is incomplete if it is not accompanied by love. To be a true follower of Jesus is to love others deeply, a life of love. There's actually a family resemblance when you give your life to Christ. You resemble God's love. You resemble Jesus' love. Love characterizes Christ. It is a mark of a Christian. In fact, Jesus said this to his disciples in John 13, 35. He says, by this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples, how you love one another. He says, you want the world to see if you're really mine or not? Be a lover. Care for people. Reach out to people. Don't just be empathetic. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, good luck. But love them. Love means deeply from the heart, meaning it's an action. Love is not a thought, it's an action. Peter says, such love is only possible by those who are born again by the eternal word of God. He says to be moved by the hurt, confused, and wandering, to be motivated by the hungry, abused, and forgotten, to be drawn by the rejected, to the rejected, the repelled, and the repulsed, to be compelled to stand up for those who are attacked. The next step in your home is to love. You want things to be different this year in your house? Love. And you want to break out at work? And you want things to be different at work? Love. If you want your school to experience revival, love. If you want people to know that Christ cares for them, they will know by your love for them. This is so basic. But Christians are horrible at loving people because we're so arrogant and judgmental all the time. Paul says, you know, you've been born again. You want to go to the next place in your life, you that are on the run and you don't know what's going on in your life, you need direction, love deeply from the heart. And you can do that because you're born again. This is the year we learn to love like Christ. And imagine, just think, just think what it would be like if you love those people at work instead of judge them and talk badly about them or thought negatively. What if you blessed the person who hurt you? What if you reached out and did something nice for the person who just rubs you the wrong way. How do you think that would change the environment at work or in your home or at school? First Peter, he says, wraps it up with this. He says, he finishes chapter one by saying, all people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers will all fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word of was preached to you today. So I want you to realize this. What's next for you begins with understanding that you've been given a new life, that you've been given a new way of living, and that you've been given a new view of life. And all these things point to one thing. God, open our spiritual eyes for what you have for us next. So next week, we're going to dive into chapter two. And I want you guys to take these. And I challenge you. I dare you. I Triple dog dare you. Yes, I said it. I went straight to the triple. I don't need no double dare. I'm going straight for the triple. I dare you to implement these areas of your life. You need direction. We all do. Every day. I mean, not just because it's 2014, but because I need to hear from God. God says right here, start with seeking my face like you've never done before. Realize I've called you to be different. Know who you are in Christ. Know that it will be hard at times, but he has not forgot you, will never leave you. Know that you have an enemy called self and Satan, and you are at war, and don't take it lightly. It's time to be a lover of people. He says, when you do these things, and you will have clarity, and you will know what is next. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are with us right now, that you care for us, Lord, and that you are shaping us and molding us and crafting us 
And uh, God, you're putting us in the fire and the flames. But Lord, at the end, what comes out is something quite beautiful and unique. And Lord, if there's someone here, God, right now that, that needs to know that you are in control of their life, and Lord, I pray that they would take this moment right now to just talk to God. So I want to challenge you. You're sitting here right now, and I want you to think about the things that we talked about. What is God asking you to do next? Maybe this is the year you finally read your Bible. That's what's next. The year that you finally get serious about praying to God every day. That's what's next. Maybe it's time that you start quit judging people and start loving people. Maybe that's what's next. Maybe it's to open your eyes that there's a real war and you need to take it seriously or it will drag you down. Maybe that is what next. Or maybe it's holding on to the truth of who God is because you are going to go through a trial and you're fearful of it, but there's no fear in Christ because he is with you and that is what is next for you. It is time to surrender to Jesus Christ. So right where you are, right where you're sitting, could you just take a moment and say, Jesus, whatever you have next for me, speak to me. I will do it. Will you talk to him for just a second right now? Go ahead say, Jesus, some of you, it's time to surrender your life to Christ and turn from yourself and turn to him. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for loving me and never giving up on me. I surrender my life to you. Fill me with your spirit so that I might walk and mature with you. Some of you are in the midst of a war right now with yourself and with Satan, and you need help. Father, deliver us from temptation. Deliver us from evil, Lord God. Give us the power of the spirit to overcome. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.